Let's pray, Lord, shall we? Father, as we come to you now, I do want to thank you for the opportunity we have to be here tonight. For all that we are about to study and all that we're about to see tonight, I, I just ask that you would give us your illumination to be able to see and appreciate the things that we will study. Father, tonight we will see some things very difficult to receive. We'll see some things that uh, are hard to understand. And so we definitely need your illumination. And Father, I pray through our time together tonight, once again, we will be reminded of how important it is that we be actively involved in the task assigned of sharing the message of salvation to our family members, our friends, co-workers, neighbors, people that need to know Jesus Christ as personal Lord and Savior. And so, Father, I ask you to bless our time, bless each person that's here. Father, for those who have situations going on in their lives that might cause their mind to drift off uh, of focus tonight, I pray that you would just give each of us uh, undivided attention to be able to focus on the Word for the time we have together. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now, as we look at this section tonight, beginning at chapter 12, one of the ways I like to think about this new section is you remember when we started this study, John said, and when he was caught up into heaven, he saw this scroll written on the, on the inside and on the back. I kind of like, I like to think of chapters 12, 13, and following as John flipping over the scroll, and now we get a chance to see what's on the back. Now the Bible never says that. But when you actually read and start reading in chapter 12, it, it's quick to see. You, you can easily see that there's a change in the flow of the message and the content is shared a little bit differently. And so that's how I kind of like to look at that. So as we look at this section tonight, we're looking at these seven prominent personages. We could also call this section Preparing for Armageddon, and we'll be talking about the Battle of Armageddon one day soon. And also we could call this section The Fall of Satan Chronicled, and we'll actually see a little bit of that Tonight, So if you would, go in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 12 and notice what John has here. Beginning in verse 1, Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. Now as we travel through these seven individuals, these seven personages tonight, one of the things you're going to see on the screen as the, uh, as the slides roll up here, the very first slide you're going to see if everything works out right is our point one or our, the first bullet and the blank is going to still be there just like the blank is on your study guide. And here's the way I want to do this tonight. I want to, I want to talk through these, these bullet points one at a time and then at the end of each of these seven personages, we're going to see if you have figured out, if the Holy Spirit has illumined your heart to understand who that person is or that image is. And so the first one then, we have this woman. And you have a blank there. Now notice how she's described once again. She's described as having clothed with the sun, moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of 12 stars. Now who is this woman? Well, the Bible tells us uh, gives some some, some uh, idea here who this woman is. Our friends in the Roman Catholic Church would say this is Mary. 
And uh, so they're, all, they're always trying to figure out a way to get Mary into the story. And so that would, uh, that's their idea of who this is. The, our Christian science friends or friends of the Christian Science Church, they would say this is Mary Baker Eddy, the leader of their movement. And there isn't enough time to give you all the reasons why she doesn't fit into this category. Some say this is the church. Well, that doesn't fit because in this particular case, this woman is actually giving birth to a child and the church didn't give birth to Christ. Actually, just the opposite. Christ is the one that instituted and initiated the church. And so that's, that's not possible. Some say this is Eve, tracing all the way back to Genesis chapter three. Now, as we look through the Bible, we have many occasions where women are used to refer to spiritual movements, whether that representation or whether that's a particular woman was referred to in a positive light or in a negative light. For instance, we know that the church is the bride of Christ, and so the church is viewed in that sense. We've already studied about Jezebel, this woman Jezebel, and then so she is presented in the Revelation account in chapters 2 and 3 in a negative light, not in a, in a positive light. Soon we'll come to the point in our study where we'll see the judgment of the great harlot, and so that certainly is not a very positive way of, of presenting a woman in the picture. And sometimes Israel is referred to as the wife of Jehovah. And so we have different times in the Bible where women are used to refer to spiritual entities, groups, or spiritual people. So once again, let's notice this group, or this uh, these descriptions. Here's a woman clothed with the sun, the moon under her feet, on her head a garland of twelve stars, and then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. So let's look at these these little uh, hollow bullets one at a time. Let's walk down the way here. First of all, notice those first three, clothed with the sun, moon under her feet, a garland of twelve stars on her head. Now there's a time in the Old Testament we actually have almost this exact same picture presented. Does anybody remember a time when somebody saw a vision of moon, stars, moon and sun and stars? Joseph, sure. Back in Genesis chapter 37, in that particular situation, Joseph, uh, excuse me, Jacob would refer to or represent the sun or the sun represented uh, Jacob, Rachel, the moon. The 11 stars will be the 11 brothers of Joseph. And then Joseph then would be the 12th star. That's Almost exactly the same kind of terminology here. But as we think on here, let's move on to these next few hollow bullets. She was with child and she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. Now, many of us know that sound. Crying out. Some of you all know this experientially. You know exactly what this sounds like to cry out in pain to give birth. But what is interesting about this particular woman who is pregnant who is about to deliver a child, the, the grammar here, the way the construction of this sentence is put together is she has been travailing for a long, long time. It's continuous pain, continuous crying out. And it's like she has been pregnant for years, decades. Well, the good thing about being pregnant, it, it, at the worst, it can only last nine months or maybe a few days, a few weeks but not years, not decades. But that seems to be the, the wording here is that she being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. And so she wants to deliver this child. Notice also 
she fled into the wilderness. Look down to verse 6. And let me, let me also share this. As we go down through these together, when you read, and if you have read these two chapters of 12 and 13, you already know that some of these descriptions are scattered out through these two chapters. And so what I have done for your outline, for the sake of your notes there, I, I've, I've sought to go through all these, or both of these chapters, and, and assimilate all the points under the same heading. And so we're going to be kind of not so much skipping around, but finding these other descriptions where it speaks of this woman, uh, the next, uh, and when we get to the beast out of the sea and the beast out of the earth. And so we're going to try to draw it together. So notice down to verse 6, there are some other descriptions about this woman. Notice, then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. So here we have this woman. She was pregnant. And now, of course, there's a gap of time that's happened here. She has been delivered by the time, and we'll come back to that here in just a moment. And here we find her in verse 6 now, fleeing into the wilderness. And the placement here tells us then there is that gap of time. Now, this fleeing into the wilderness, the question would be, why did she flee? Hold the place there in Revelation chapter 12. Put your pencil there or ribbon of mark or something and go with me to Matthew chapter 24. In Matthew 24, we have the Olivet Discourse. The Olivet Discourse is the second longest sermon or presentation or teaching of our Lord. And notice in chapter 24 and notice verse 15. And here's how Jesus ties these together and helps us to understand how this woman flees and why she flees into the wilderness. Look at verse 15. Therefore, Jesus said, Matthew 24, 15, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. That simply means that the abomination of desolation that Daniel spoke of is actually going to reveal himself in the middle of the tribulation period. In the middle of the seven years of tribulation, that's when he will reveal himself, and that's what our Lord is referring to here. Then notice what he says, verse 16. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let who him, let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. Let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight will not be in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. So here we have our Lord, going back now to Revelation chapter 12. Here we have our Lord talking about a group of people who are actually going to be caused to flee to the mountains because of what is going on in the world in that day. And we see it brought in here in Revelation chapter 12. Let's press on here. Notice in, in the second part of, of verse 6, Revelation 12, 6, notice where she has a place prepared by God. 
Now, a question that comes up every now and then is, where is this place? If she's caused to flee, where is, where is she going to flee to? We'll, we'll see that here in just a little bit, and we'll talk about that a little bit more. Look at the next bullet point there. She will be fed 1,260 days. That's another description. Here we find, again, that God is protecting her. Whoever this woman is, she's being cared for and protected by God. Also notice, drop down to verse 14. Here's another descriptor of this woman. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time, times, and half a time from the presence of the serpent. Here again, she's fleeing, just like Jesus said in Matthew 24. She's fleeing to the mountain. She's fleeing to the wilderness to be away from what the serpent is seeking to do. Now notice she's nourished here. Now we've already said in previous studies that three and a half years is the same as 1,260 days, which is the same as time, times, and half a time. Time one year, times two years, half a time, a half a year, three and a half years. And so in different ways throughout the Bible, whether it's in the Old Testament or the New Testament, we have these we have these descriptions of this second half of the tribulation period. Now, if you ever have anybody ask you, where do we get this wording, great tribulation? Is that something scholars have just kind of created? Well, in Matthew 24, Jesus is the one that actually gives us the wording that there will be great tribulation. So as we think about this whole scenario of the seven years of tribulation, it will last seven years and the last three and a half years are referred to as great tribulation. Now notice here she is nourished. It says here in verse 14, the woman was given two wings of a great eagle. First time I read this, I thought of a C-130 transport. I mean, she is going to be, God is going to give her this military escort and get her out of there. But it actually traces back to Numbers, excuse me, Exodus chapter 19, where God talks about Israel and how he carried her up and bore her up on eagle's wings. Remember that? And how he protects her. And just as God protected the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, as she remained faithful, walking with God, God's covenant promises are still consistent. He's going to continue to care for her that he might, that she might fly into the wilderness to her place. All right. Let's talk about this place. It's obviously wilderness. Jesus said it's going, they need to flee to the mountains. I don't know if you, how many of you have been to the Holy Land, but as we think about where Jerusalem is and how the Holy Land is placed there, if they were to go west, they would be into the sea, so that's probably not the direction. Some commentators say that they're actually going to flee south. They actually view the barrenness of the south of Israel as wilderness. It's where Masada is, down there where the Dead Sea is, and it's it's pretty it's pretty rough territory. But Jesus but it's really not mountainous. And Jesus said they're going to flee to the mountains. To the north of Israel is certainly mountainous, but it's also Lebanon. And so it's possible they may not go that direction. Probably the direction here is either west or northwest 
of Jerusalem is where they're going to be fleeing, excuse me, northeast, east or northeast, I should say. That's the direction they're probably going to be fleeing. That's where the mountains are. But wherever it is, God knows where it is. God, God knows where they're going to be. And He's going to lead them and direct them. And while they're there, they will be nourished. They will be cared for by God. That's the promise of Scripture. All right? Who's this woman? It's Israel. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's exactly who it is. And so the woman that is depicted here as having, as being with child in great pain and great labor, ready to deliver, is the woman Israel. Now here we see Israel then in her covenant relationship with God and the promises that God made to her are going to be continuing. That doesn't mean that every particular single Israelite person is always doing the will of God. But God certainly has promised to protect and preserve the Israelite nation, and we will continue to see that in our day. We also see, as we think about this woman in pain, we think about down through the years, how she has suffered in so many different ways. How many people, so many people who have sought to destroy and hurt the nation of Israel. But we also see that down through the years, she has sought her Messiah. I don't know how many times you've had personal one-on-one conversations with Jewish people, but Jewish people that are not saved, they're not completed Jews like the brother we had in the in church just a couple of Sundays ago, they're still seeking their Messiah. Down through the years, the, the Israelite nation has been seeking the Messiah. Sadly, for those who are still seeking, the Messiah has already come. But they reject Jesus Christ. And really sad is when you talk to a Jewish person and you ask them to describe for you what the Messiah will be like, the Messiah they're looking for is the Antichrist. And they're going to be deceived and so sad. So even in our day, it's important that we seize opportunities as they're given to us, as the Lord leads us, to share your faith with Jewish people. One of the great things you can do is just become wiser in your biblical understanding and share with them and leave the results to God. You can't save them. I can't save them. It's God that does the saving, but we can be that mouth, mouthpiece and certainly share with the folks. Well, even though this is Israel, there are some other glimpses that we see in some of these descriptions. There is a sense in which we can see Mary in this picture. We can think about how Mary she was the one to actually give birth to the humanity of Jesus Christ. Now, obviously, Jesus didn't begin in Bethlehem. He's from old of everlasting. The prophet Micah says in Micah 5 too. But Mary is the one who was called to be the bearer of the humanity of Jesus Christ. And certainly, we can think of the pain and the travail that she went through. Every Christmas, we think about Mary riding on that donkey pregnant, riding on a donkey, having to having to make that journey and the pain that she endured. We can also think about Eve. We can kind of sense Eve a little bit in this in this picture. Even though this picture is Israel, we can also sense a little bit in Eve. If you want to jot down Genesis 2.23 and Genesis 3.15, it's actually, does anybody have any idea what Eve's first name is? Her first name was? Woman. It's not a trick. Adam said, this is now woman. So guys and ladies, when, I'll say this to ladies. When your husband calls you a woman, you know, he's actually saying, honey, you're as beautiful as Eve. You know, 
Now, guys, be careful with that. Don't get yourself in trouble with that. Uh, but, but we do see Eve a little bit in this and, and, and the promise. And we even see a little bit of the, of the redemption passage in Genesis 3.15. Listen to what it says. And I will put in, enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. In fact, we see other women, just this, the, the godly women, but, but primarily the picture here is Israel that she has delivered. And as we come to the study, as we go on, she has delivered. She will flee to the mountains. She will be protected by God and the God's covenant relationship will continue with her. She's one of these seven prominent personages. Number two, verses three and four. We've got to go back to Revelation chapter 12, now verses three and four. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his heads. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. Graphic language here. Here we have this fiery red dragon that is depicted here. And let's just kind of walk down some of the descriptors. Before we get to this, notice the title itself, A Great Fiery Red Dragon. Great means he'll be powerful. Red, the word here is pyros, which actually refers to blood red. Red as a result of his murderous nature is why he's referred to that way. And he's a dragon referring to his viciousness. Now, as we think about this great fiery red dragon, notice these other items here. He has seven heads. Seven is the perfect number or the complete, the maximum number. Heads refer to wisdom or his leadership ability. Seven heads. Now, it's kind of tough here because here we have this dragon, which we already see is a, is a death machine and he has all, he's all about death. And yet we have this number seven, which is typically used for God, uh, being associated now with this dastardly diabolical dragon. The idea here is he has maximum diabolical wisdom is the picture here that is painted. Notice also he has ten horns. Ten, really in the book of Revelation, is the number of government. It is the number of completion. Horns, again, speak of strength and power. And so this great fiery red dragon with these seven heads and these ten horns will have complete power. He will have a, an ultimate amount of power. And also, he is given, he has seven diadem crowns on his heads. Diadem crowns here speak of his political power. Now, as you look at this and you compare it, if you were to take the time to compare it, what Daniel has in speaking of the enemy and the evil forces in his day, what we actually are beginning to see here is 
a revival of the Roman Empire. I just want to hang that in your hat there somewhere, and we're going to come back to that as we journey through this together. Again, a lot of tough stuff to think on tonight, but I'm going to try my best to just keep you in the flow here. Let's keep on moving. Now, mostly people would consider these seven diadem crowns on his head as, again, referring to seven key leaders in the reviving of the Roman Empire. We know that when Jesus was born, when Mary gave birth to the humanity of Christ and in the culture in which he was born, the Roman government was powerful. They were a significant force in his day. And yet the Romans, we know, slipped off the scene. But there's going to be the promise of Scripture and the promise of Revelation is there's going to be a revival of this Roman Empire. It's not going to be a good thing, It's just, but it's going to happen as the Bible predicts. Notice verse 4. He drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. Now, one of the things that might come to your mind here, most of us have been around Sunday school and church enough to remember that how Satan fell from heaven. And when he fell, how many of the angels did he take with him? Took a third of them with him. So you, you see that picture here. What we have in this sense, we have a, a kind of a historical reminder of what happened in the past, but we also see a prophetical message of what's going to happen in the future. Read this verse again. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. Now notice, let's read on here. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. Now just kind of stop a minute and think about that. Here we have this woman who is great with child, ready to be delivered, and whoever this is that is symbolically, symbolically represented by this great fiery red dragon is standing there ready as she's about to be delivered. He is ready to devour that child. Devour here means to eat up completely. As I thought about that, I, I thought about all the people, the doctors and nurses and technicians who have dedicated their lives to care for women who are pregnant. And they go to work every day. And their, their blessing in life is to be able to help women who are pregnant and who are about to, to deliver. And what a, and I know it's, it's gotta be a tough life because sometimes the things don't quite work out the way we would like for them to, to work out. But they get a chance to, to be the one to see the baby come out. I mean, they're the one that get, they're the ones that get to bring the baby to us and here she is and here he is. I mean, they, they have that. But here we have an image of this fiery red dragon who's standing there at the end of the table ready for this woman to be delivered and his, his, his man, his, his plan is to kill this baby. I think about those people who go to work every day and their job is to kill babies. And if you have any idea where they get their inspiration to do their work, now you see it. It's from this diabolical Demon that we're referring to here, who's, who's basically, that's his whole mission, is to kill this baby. Alright, let's move on here. Notice, he's ready to devour the child, he's ready to destroy it, and then also drop down to verse 7, here we have another descriptor of this great fiery red dragon, 
and war broke out in heaven, Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. And so they battle with Michael and his angels. That's one of your bullets there. But also we see that he does not prevail. Look at verse 8. But they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. And so the enemy, this great fiery red dragon and his angels, fight with Michael and his angels, and yet they did not win. They did not prevail. He failed. He was rejected. He was expelled. The wording here is the enemy and all of his angels were not strong enough to proceed and to accomplish their mission. They were tossed out of heaven and they lost their place. Look at verse 9. They're cast out. That's your next bullet point there. He, they are cast out of heaven. Look at verse 9. So the great dragon was cast out. The serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Also, notice your next bullet point there. He persecutes the woman. Go over to verse 13. Revelation 12, 13. Now when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. To persecute means to pursue, to hunt, to hunt down. The persecution of the Israelite nation and the nation of Israel has been bad in history. And it will be bad during the days of the tribulation. Anti-Semitism is alive and well on the planet Earth. Anti-Semitism is simply the persecution, the hunting down, the hating of Jewish people simply because they're Jewish people. And here we see that alive and well, and this enemy is seeking to destroy the baby, seeking to persecute this woman and do whatever he can do to hurt her. Notice also, he spews water out of his mouth. Look at verses 15 and 16. So the serpent, and we already kind of have his description in verse 9, that serpent of old. Verse 15, so the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. But the earth helped the woman. And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out of its mouth. So he spews this water out of his mouth. And again, an attempt to destroy the nation of Israel. To destroy the woman is the picture here. Now, there are a lot of different ideas of what this refers to. Some say this refers to a massive army, demons that are actually out there and will be out there seeking to destroy the Israelite nation. I think it's kind of interesting to me that God promised that he would never again destroy the earth with a flood, and yet the enemy is using a flood to try to destroy the Israelite nation. You know, the enemy isn't all that creative, but he's very persistent, and he keeps on after us. We need to, we need to remember that. Notice also he makes war with her offspring. Look at verse 17. And the dragon was enraged with the woman. And he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who kept the commandments of God and had the testimony of Jesus Christ. 
And so he makes war with her. Now, down through the years, we, re- we remember and we know of how the enemy has been opposed to the nation of Israel and those Israelites who have committed their lives to Christ and are now completed Jews. The enemy has tried many, many ways to destroy the Israelite people through warfare, false teaching, inspiring idol worship. Boy, when you read some of the things in the Old Testament and you think about the Israelite people who actually set up idols in the temple, you just kind of shake your head like, why? Why did you do that? Well, obviously the enemy was inspiring that thought of idol worship, corrupt leaders, holocausts. And so the enemy, even if he can't persecute, he can't find the woman and destroy her. He's not going to give up. He keeps on coming at God's people and he's pursuing her offspring as the picture here. Others who have given their lives to Christ. Notice also in chapter 13, verse 2, and we'll come back to this in a few minutes, he empowers the beast out of the sea. Now again, we're talking about this great fiery red dragon and the different descriptions of him. Verse 2, Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. Here he empowers the beast, this beast out of the sea, to do even greater diabolical and dastardly things. And so we have this tremendous, uh, wicked, fiery red dragon. Go back with me now to verse 9. Let's, let's, let's think about some of these descriptions and names that we have listed here. We're still trying to find out who this is, and probably by now you've got it all figured out. So the great, the great dragon was cast out. Notice he's first of all described as the serpent of old. The serpent of old takes us all the way back to the Garden of Eden, to the very first kind of physical body, the, the enemy, the, what was allowed to, to have. He's also referred to as the devil. The devil actually means one who slanders. That's what the word devil means. He's also referred to as Satan. Satan means adversary. He's also referred to as the deceiver of the world. Notice it's still there in verse 9. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. Now, to deceive means to lead astray. It indicates habitual action, continuous activity. And I want you to just kind of let that sink in for a minute. Because this enemy, this great fire red dragon has really one goal in life and could be personified in two different ways. First of all, his goal is, is to keep you, or not us, but keep people lost. He wants to keep them in darkness. But once he loses that battle, and those of you who have given your lives to Christ, those of us who are saved tonight, he's lost that battle, but he still seeks to deceive the world, and us. And so that's his mission, to deceive people. But notice also, not only is he referred to as the deceiver of the world, he's also referred to as the accuser of the brethren. Look at verse verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren 
who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. Now, he deceives the world, and he certainly can deceive us. But his primary mission about the world and those who are lost today is to deceive them, to keep them in darkness, keep them blinded, as Paul referred to it in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. But for those of us who are Christians, his desire for us is to bring accusation to us or accusation about us and to cause us to be weak and anemic and not live the Christian life that we need to be living. He is the accuser of the brethren. To accuse one means to bring a legal accusation against another. And when the enemy accuses you of things that are not true, or even accuses you of things that are true, he's trying his best to keep you quiet, to keep you from not living the Christian life. All right, who is this great fiery red dragon? Satan, yeah, the devil, that, that's, that's who that is. And we see all these descriptors. And so the next time you want to kind of think through, what is the enemy really like? What is Satan really like? Just go down through your study guide there or read these passages and just read those different sections there and you will see how he is described. So, the great fire red dragon is Satan. Satan here is depicted as having access to heaven. He's actually able to accuse the brethren. I want you to see here, he's not pictured as wearing red pajamas and down there in hell with a pitchfork and with a whip making people shovel coal. He's actually accusing us before the Father. And we're going to come back here in just a minute as to how we handle his accusations and how do we keep on in this life. We might ask, why? Why does God allow that to happen? Well, that's a whole nother lesson. The fact is, he's doing that, and there is a way to usurp his authority and his power in our lives so that we can keep on walking this Christian life in our day. Notice the third image here is the male child. Now, I'm hoping by now you've kind of got this guy figured out who this male child is, but just for the sake of the study, let's look at this. Go back now to verse 5. We're going back now to thinking about this woman who is pregnant and she's about ready to deliver. The enemy is standing there at the end of the, the table ready to devour the child. But notice verse 5. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and his throne. Now the idea here of ruling with the nations with a rod of iron. The word rule actually means to shepherd. To feed. When we think about a pastor, a minister. Our job is to feed the flock, is to shepherd the people. That's that's where we get this idea here. Well, here we have this idea of this child being one who's going to rule or shepherd all the nations with a rod of iron. It's going to be a, a firm and clear leadership. Notice also this child is caught up to heaven. To, caught, to be caught up actually takes us back now to words that we've studied before. It actually reminds us of being snatched up, raptured up is the picture here. We have this same wording in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. You remember at the rapture where the Lord shall ascend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive shall be caught up together with him in the clouds. That's the idea there. 
to be raptured up. This word is also used to refer to the time that Paul was taken up into the third heaven and allowed to hear things that people are not supposed to be able to hear. It's also used in that scene where, where Philip has been witnessing to the Ethiopian eunuch. Remember that scene? And he, and he gets in that chariot and he's, and he's going down the way and eventually the, the eunuch gets baptized and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit snatches him out of that scene and, and, and seconds later, moments later, he finds himself about 35 miles away in a, in a city called Azotus. And it's the same idea of being caught away. Here we have this child being caught away. Well, who's the child? Yeah, this is Jesus. And the catching away, the being caught up into heaven, actually refers to his ascension. And so we obviously have a significant amount of time gap between verse 5 and verse 6. So the woman, being Israel, and we again we see some kind of glimpses of Mary there, the woman gives birth to the child, and certainly the enemy is all about trying to destroy the baby Jesus, and even the man Jesus. Think of all the times that the enemy tried to destroy him. Think about Herod the Great and how he inspired Herod to kill all those babies two years of age and under just to get rid of one who is referred to in in Scripture as born king of the Jews. Uh, Think of the time that, that he just wanted to do whatever he could do to destroy the child Jesus, and we get the picture here. 